welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the If You Want My Advice edition. It is Friday, February 20th, 2015, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the host of our weekly show and the Journal's assignment editor. Today with me in the studio are a trio of my fine colleagues, Journal Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Health reporter Keith Gerine. Hi there. And city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, everyone. Our topics today involve the domestic and the international. On the home front, healthcare premiums, are they back? And then we'll pull out our passports and uh, maybe take a little trip and talk about Alberta's foreign offices and how there are soon to be less of them than just a few days ago. And if we have time, we can talk about the state of democracy in our province, because that's something you squeeze into a couple minutes, right, Graham? That we can just <laughs> pop that in at the end, but we'll, we'll see. But I want to start with healthcare premiums. This total blast from the past that appeared this week and suddenly became the hot topic. Keith, how did this... How did healthcare premiums suddenly appear squarely on the Alberta government agenda? Well, simply put, I mean, the government's under some pretty f- pretty dire financial stress at this point. $50 oil will, will do that too. So they are looking at trying to get new forms of revenue. But Prentice has already ruled out sales tax. He's also, also ruled out uh, an increase in corporate taxes. So the options start to get quite limited at this point and they believe this is something that Albertans have supported in the past or at least put up with and so this this is an idea that uh, is now getting some traction. Mm, okay and Robin Campbell and, and the Premier, no Robin Campbell was the one who kind of right. delivered this information to Calgary because we saw our colleagues in the Calgary Herald report this. Graham can you give us a little bit of the context in which Robin Campbell was delivering the speech this week? Yeah he was um, talking about the healthcare premiums in terms, he said. First of all, he said Albertans want us to do this. I would argue with that. We've been we've been asking for it, Sarah. <laughs> did, did, did yes. you, did, didn't you ask? I'm, I'm, didn't we all ask for this? Yeah. So this goes back to his, you know, his survey asking Albertans what they should be doing. But the thing is, you know, when and he's talking about um, the premiums if they do come back wouldn't be bought, brought back in their old incarnation where basically the employers often paid for this. It'd just mm-hmm. be done by you paying for it through your taxes. There'd be an actual tax increase targeted to the health care. But the thing is, I think if people, if people did say, look, if you have to raise taxes and bring back the, the uh, health care premiums, they were thinking in terms of, my, my employer paid it. Ah. And, and very often in the old system, a lot of employers did pay for it, and the average Albertan and who had an employer who paid for it didn't pay for it. Um, and also, I think the government's thinking this isn't going to work um, because often the government had to pay money for its own employees. So mm-hmm. the government was actually paying the health care premium. So it was taking money out and putting money back in. So it was shuffling money around as opposed to getting a, a cool $1.3 billion. So anyway, this goes back to um, this budget uh, dilemma that um, Keith talked about. And so I think the government's saying... Albertans want this. Albertans were thinking it'd be the old health care premiums. Well, I'm not sure Albertans were, wanted this at all in any format. And the problem with health care premiums is that they are the flattest and most regressive of taxes. Isn't a sales tax the most regressive of taxes? Well, because no, it's based on how much you spend. So if you're the guy who buys the Ford F-150 truck and the really, really, really big television, you pay more in sales tax. And here's my other objection to the health premium. People think that when they pay the health premium, they paid for their health care, which is delusional. I mean, it's it's a token amount compared to the actual cost of running the health care system. So the other reason I object to it is that it, it creates the illusion in people's minds that, oh, well, I paid for my health care. So I, I don't actually think that it sends the right 
economic signal to the healthcare consumer either. And I wanted to ask Keith, I mean, as someone who covers the health beat, does the healthcare system need an injection of cash that, like, presumably, that in theory, you would think that this would bring because it's earmarked for health. Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, it's uh, I think most Albertans know now that we spend more on healthcare than pretty much anyone else in the province yeah. per, per Remi- capita. Remind us how much of the budget about does healthcare about, make more about, than anyone else in the country? Yeah, it's about forty five percent, and of a forty four billion dollar ish budget, something <laughs> roughly. <laughs> yeah, per capita, we're we're about the highest spenders per uh, on healthcare in the country. Uh, we don't get great results for that. Uh, so that tells me that there is some inefficiency in the system, that uh, perhaps we are spending as much as we need to. S- some areas about uh, like uh, the number of hospitals we have in this province, um, where those beds are located, the fact that only about 27% of our nurses have full-time jobs. So you've got a lot of part-time nurses earning overtime. I, I mean, these are some of the areas that hmm. um, probably we could address in terms of inefficiency. On the other hand, our population is growing, it's aging. We had a major baby boom last year. We're expected another one this year. We've got the other baby boom, the one that happened 70 years ago. All of those people are going to need more health care now as well. And the major need that, that seems to be for those people is just the number of beds. We're short on beds, short on hospital beds. We're short on uh, continuing care beds. So if the government is serious about actually having a health care premium and dedicating that money to health care, I would be tempted to actually dedicate it to capital, to actually building new facilities. Hmm. Oh. But, you know, a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money. And if I'm the person paying my share of it, it's going to pinch in my pocketbook. But a billion dollars would buy us, what, not one hospital? Maybe one urban hospital. That's not bad. But well, the, no, the no. money, the money wouldn't be. I don't think given to healthcare. What's going to happen? Yeah, so the general. Yeah, yeah what, and that's what happened last time. What happens here right now? Looking at a seven billion dollar potential hole in the budget. So if they can get that five percent cut um, in spending for overall for government um, uh, spending, that'd be about two billion dollars. And if they can borrow two billion more, and if they can raise another two billion, roughly in taxes of some kind. Mm-hmm then they're going a long way to actually, in a sense, filling that hole. So it seemed to me at first like this was a little bit more than a usual trial balloon. Like, you know, you throw it up and see what the reaction is. I thought, well, I thought, wow, you know, if the finance minister is actually talking about this, this must be something pretty serious. This must be something that they're preparing us for in the upcoming budget. And then... You know, today we had our colleague James Wood at the Herald report that the premier was downplaying that. What's what's going on there, Graham? Like, so is it just a regular old trial balloon, or is it it's something more serious? It's interesting, you know, how they are floating stuff out. They're getting kind of desperate in terms of how do they um, cut spending and how do they raise taxes. And the big, big issue here is how do they raise taxes? And you had Campbell uh, bringing this up, and then the premier is now saying, "Well, it's just an idea. We're just floating these things, just like sales taxes, which, which of course they shot down pretty quickly." Mm-hmm. But this is um, them like scrambling to find something that, that Albertans might swallow. Yeah, and, and and scrambling. I mean, you know, we're talking weeks in theory to the budget. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is the kind mm-hmm. of point. Yeah. Since we don't exactly know when the budget is coming out, or if mm-hmm. the budget's coming out before an election, but in theory, this would sort of be the time you'd be going to the printer. Well, because we know the fiscal year ends, or the new fiscal year begins on April 1st, right? right? So theoretically, you want to know 
how you're going to be budgeting going forward. Although yeah, and we can, keep hearing the budget's going to be delayed it's going further and further into into March. And now, of course, the big speculation is there'll be no budget before the election. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that's yeah. the case. I mean, yeah. Laurie Blakeman, you know, first said that to me two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I thought she was nuts. Yeah. But now, I don't know. Can I ask from a really basic perspective? This is going back a little bit in history instead of looking forward. But does this mean the former Premier Ed Stalmack and the, and the government at the time were wrong to get rid of health premiums? Nope. No, and back then, of course, there was a lot of money coming in. You know, mm. they did it back in 2000, well, before the collapse in the, the world economy. Um, you know, he, he announced this um, because it was, and Paul is right, it was a regressive tax. They knew it was a tax, and he, he fast-tracked it because that back then they had tons of money coming in. And not, in not only that, but the old health care premium really was a payroll tax. I mean, as Graham said, in many, many cases, the employer paid it. I mean, I paid it for my nanny back in the day. Uh, the Edmonton Journal paid it for us. And so not only was it regressive for the people who were self-employed or who worked for small businesses who didn't get it paid for them, but if you were a small business in Alberta, it was a, a, a payroll tax on you, and it, it stifled job creation. Hmm. So it was it was a bad economic thing. Stelmac did the right thing to get rid of it, and bringing it back now albeit it looks like in a very different form, I, I don't think is the answer to our current crisis. The, the finance minister also mentioned, Keith, personal health statements. And that that kind of got a, a fleeting mention. But like, what is that? And, and what would that mean? You, you know, it's an excellent question. I, I really don't know. I, I'd love to figure out what, what that, uh, what he has uh, in terms of an idea that maybe, maybe Graham or Paul have some better clue. Well, because we're old enough that we remember when we used <laughs> yeah. to, you know. I mean, when I was a Long child, time. I think they used to come. A Long um, time ago. So, and and, and, and so, you know, the idea was you'd get a, a, a fake bill of what you would have paid if you had been paying for your health care. And the idea was that if you got that, you would learn don't go to the doctor and ask for antibiotics every time you have a cold. You know, that you would, you would get this in the mail and it would be like a spanking for you. It would say, see, this is the amount of money you wasted. Well, you know, what about the person who's you know, the young mother fighting breast cancer? What about the family whose teenage son was horrifically maimed in a terrible car accident caused by a drunk driver and you get that thing in the mail? And even though you and I know that you don't have to pay that for a lot of people, it could be a very frightening, a very intimidating thing. Mm. Um, and you know, and, and what is what is the message? Be grateful and tug your forelock that you don't have to pay for that. I would also think that they would be kind of costly to actually produce and put out. Yeah, and you wonder about people's privacy and where they're getting their information on those sort of things. I, I mean, the government is trying to get people to stop using the system if they don't need it, stop going to the emergency room if they don't need it. But Paul is right. There is this kind of shaming thing to it, at least the way it was done in the past. And mm. so that is a, a concern. You know, to be... T- on the other hand, I mean, it is kind. Of, it is kind of interesting when you get the bill and you see, oh, that's what that's what it costs the system for me to get a prescription renewed. That's what it costs the system for me to do a thing that I that I had to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so in some ways, it was it was very eye opening um, to see where where the cost drivers in the system are. Wow. So to yeah. a certain, you know, I I can see the argument in favor of it, but I think that people need. But they would they would need to have their health bill literacy raised considerably to get really derive the kind of social benefit the government expects. Mm. It, just, it just shows by them going back to these old systems just how desperate how they have no 
really answer or new ideas to, to go forward. Uh, mm. They're relying on what happened in the past, didn't always work, and they're saying, "What the heck? We'll bring it back." Hmm. Well, speaking of things that sound like old old things that are disappearing, and who knows, maybe they'll come back again. Let's move to the other topic. Let's let's pull out those passports I was talking about and take a little trip around the world. The premier delivered some news this week that they were trimming the uh, province's international offices. Keith, can you just kind of sum up the the main news if of of that announcement? The basic news is that there are three offices that the province is going to close, uh, Munich, Chicago, and Ottawa. I think Prentice uh, was particularly um, angry that we even had an Ottawa office. So those are going to close. I think they're going to save somewhere around 3 or $3.1 million to do that. One of the funny comments I saw on Twitter was um, amazed at how many other offices we still have. And, and the joke was, why don't we close all of them except three rather than than just That's three? Right. And we're also not opening two that were supposed to right. come on stream. Right. In Brazil and Northern California. Okay. Right. Yeah. Paula, Graham, are you sad to say farewell so long to farewell. the offices in Munich? Well, I, you know, personally, I was always sort of hoping that I'd retire to the Michigan <laughs> office. Uh, uh, you know, that's right. I would have been a very fine representative for Alberta. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the Munich office in particular is a throwback to the days when Horst Schmidt was a political power in mm. this province. You know, I mean, I don't know in this day of relatively cheap air travel and Skype and email. I mean, do we really need as a as a small Western Canadian province to behave like a foreign country and have consulates and, and embassies in foreign places. I'm not quite sure that we ever got the economic or, uh, you know, sort of social capital bang for the buck out of those offices. Do you think this is about saving saving cash or actually, Graham, or is this more about dismantling that kind of last well, piece of Alison Redford's legacy no, because she had built some of this up? Well, it's a bit of both. I think if there's a saving cash, you would shut a lot more of them down. And also the saving cash is $3.1 million <laughs> when we're, gonna, we're talking about a $45 billion yeah. budget. Every so little it's bit tiny. helps, right? Um, but, you know, also... Um, it's interesting. We go through this uh, roller coaster on these offices too. When times are good, we open these offices, and when times are bad, we shut them down. Because Klein did both, um, and I, I think that um, also I got to wonder, you know, what with Bradford, she just liked a reason to travel, and she loved to travel the world, and this gave her a reason by opening more offices. And I, I don't, I don't want to sound unfair. But it did seem that she wanted a reason to travel, and opening more offices gave the impression that we were actually a, a real world player. And in fact, you know. We, we do export a lot of our things across across the world. Yes, we want to export even more. But we need all these offices to do that. Okay, so I want to conclude. Let's kind of do this combo where we'll move to good stuff, but also talk about the state of democracy. Because, Graham, on your behalf, I want to make your column from Thursday your good stuff. Because you wrote a very, very strong piece. Maybe just tell us a little bit about the column and why you wrote it. Because I don't think I've ever read a column of yours where I thought, wow, you are really disappointed. And I don't know if angry is the right word. I was trying to pinpoint your feelings last night in that column. But <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I, I do try and stay off my high horse when I'm doing columns um, and using, I call it purple prose. Um, but what happened here, I thought it was really important to point to people, without getting into all the details here, uh, an all-party committee makes a decision on the budget of these independent officers of the legislature, including the Auditor General, the Ethics Commissioner, Child and Youth Advocate, all these people who are actually watchdogs on government. Uh, they're overseen by an all-party committee that's supposed to be independent from the government, of course, and from the Premier's office. And here, they and these, this committee decided to 
give money back to the Auditor General, $546,000 in his budget to do more investigations. Money, Pre- money that he'd already originally been promised. Right, and it was cut and then given back by the committee. They said, okay, we'll give, here's, here's the money, you can have it. Next day after that, that's February the 10th, February the 11th, the Premier stands up at a news conference saying, yeah, that's great, I'm going to have this reversed. He has no place doing that. Um, and we do know in this government majority with the PCs that behind the scenes they can do things, but for him to be this blatant, this crass, to say, I want this reversed. And, of course, uh, then all the government members in that committee fall into lockstep, and lo and behold, they recall a meeting and they vote against that yeah, money a, going a, to the a, un, An unscheduled meeting. Yeah, and, and so the opposition, speaking of that, there's supposed to be uh, two members from the Wild Rose on that committee to make it all party. There's one from the NDP, one from the Liberals in the 11-member committee. And uh, the two Wild Rosers had crossed the floor last December as part of that mass floor crossing. Therefore, there's nobody from the official opposition on that committee. On the mm. all-party committee. Right. So there's nine members are from the, the government. And there's two, one, one NDP, David Egan, and one liberal, Laurie Blakeman, who did uh, this valiant effort to try and raise the flag of democracy. There were people like Joe Anglin was in there and um, Strankman from the Wild Rose, but they were not voting members. You can go there as an M- MLA and just talk, but at the end of the day, the vote goes to the members, and that was uh, nine members from the government on that committee and two from the opposition, and the premier basically dictated to them what to do, and I thought that was ac- that's crossing the line. I thought it was absolutely outrageous because w- we do have this government in power 40 years, 44 years in Alberta, the opposition does play a, an important role, but it seems that whatever they try and do, and by the way, 54, 55% of Albertans voted for the opposition party's last election, 44% voted, percent voted for the government. So the opposition does represent a large number of people in this province, and they keep getting themselves stomped on by the government. But this isn't just about the opposition. <coughs> this is about the, 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 the progressive conservative backbenchers on that committee are not supposed to be the agents of the premier. They're supposed to represent the people of Alberta. They're not on that committee. They're not members of cabinet. They are supposed to act with autonomy. And mm-hmm. they took a direct order from the premier to reverse their own decision. I mean, those members voted to give the money back to the auditor general. Government members mm-hmm. made that decision. The premier said no, and they went right back in and reversed themselves. Yeah. In the Chinese calendar, this is the year of the sheep. <laughs> and in Alberta, oh, you were waiting for that. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, this, this is the year of the sheep. And Jim Prentice is big shepherd. Yeah, I was, I don't know about you, Keith, but I was actually impressed that Graham still can get outraged about these things because I, I, I sometimes teeter that dangerous line of thinking, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I, I just, it didn't surprise me that much that it happened. And then, so, yeah. No, it, it, Graham's column hit it bang on. I think um, we were all uh, seeing that go down, feeling some frustration. I think Graham put it to words. And my understanding, and Graham, you can, you can fill us in on this, but Prentice was asked about this if he was, um, subverting democracy, and he refused to answer the questions. Is that right? We asked him the question in a news conference um, this week. Explain why you did what you did in terms of aren't you stomping on the, the feet of democracy? Um, we asked him this week in a news conference, and he just said, look, the Auditor General is, is the highest um, budgeted person in, in, in the country in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And so we asked him, well, no, no, the issue here is democracy and you and interfering in an independent committee. He said, um, the Auditor General of Alberta gets the highest you know, uh, funding of any uh, Auditor General in the country, and he would not even acknowledge the question about democracy and him stepping on the toes. And the thing is, and I talked to the Auditor General's office, and they say, look, you, it's unfair to compare 
the Auditor General's Office budget here in Alberta to anywhere else, Ontario, for example, because the mandate here is so much greater. Um, the Auditor General here does all the work. He does all the auditing of all the government departments, ministries, um, Crown, Crown Corporations. Yeah. In, in other provinces like Ontario, Universities, yeah. in Ontario uh, the Crown Corporations hire outside auditors to do mm. the work that they, they can then keep secret if they want. Oh. So the Auditor General in Alberta has a much bigger mandate and needs that. It sounds like we have a better system. That sounds pretty well, good. Well, we, yeah. we had a better system. Well, I mean, we, as, as, Graham, as, as Graham pointed out in his column, we could, you know, we could fire all the MLAs and the Auditor General. That would save us about $45 oh, million. Oh, I don't so. think so. Well, okay, well, we, we'll talk, <laughs> you know, next week, State of Democracy, part two. Graham, like we said, that counts for your good stuff. That was probably all of our good stuffs given the time. But let's quickly move to that segment of the show where we recommend something we've enjoyed. Keith, do you want to go next? Yeah, it's, it's just a short piece. It's uh, it's called My Own Life. It's by Oliver Sacks, who is one of my favorite authors. He's a, a famous uh, neurologist in the United States, wrote the book Awakenings and, and many others. Um, recently at age 81, he found out that he's dying. And so this is his column in the in the uh, New York Times delivering the news and, and kind of giving his uh, his reflections and his his goodbye to the world and it's really really beautifully written oh wow I haven't I didn't haven't picked up on that at all I'll look forward to reading that I'm gonna recommend very quickly again something from the journal we don't often recommend stuff but I'm gonna recommend something from my colleague Paula Simons who wrote a very interesting insight piece on Edmonton City Councillor Emerjeet Sohi and so he is running for the federal liberal party now as he wants to be an MP for Edmonton Mill Woods but I did not know as Paula told us that he had served he had spent time in an Indian prison as a political prisoner and it is a fascinating read you you have to go look for it I will put up the links to that story but I just thought wow this man has been a counselor in Edmonton for years now and I did not know this about his history this history from the early 1980s that you know there were stories about it in the journal at the time and somehow we just it didn't sink into my psyche that this had happened I'm gonna so. have the dust from the microfiche in my system for a long time yeah all it right. was really and now Paula you're good stuff okay you cannot my, recommend yourself no. only Graham can do that today. all right so my, my and I didn't <laughs> <laughs> that's right I did it on your behalf all right so I'm gonna recommend a piece from our CBC colleagues Charles Russnell and Jenny Russell a series of stories that they've been doing about uh, allegations that the premier has ordered the uh, information and privacy officers to do a core dump uh, anytime that the opposition or the media ask for a freedom of information request that all of that information will be made public every Friday which sounds benign I mean it sounds wonderful let's make the information public until you stop to think that then the media and the opposition are paying for these requests and they lose the uh, the leverage and the incentive to do that if every time they make a request it instantaneously becomes public they they lose the political capital that that filing those requests could bring so there's some controversy about is this a good thing is this a bad thing and i think that chuck and jenny have done a really interesting job mm -hmm. of reporting the issue yeah i'm on the fence about it myself i think i think there could be good good parts of it and they have a follow-up today yes. so we'll post the links to both of those segments well, that's it for this week paula graham and keith thank you so much for coming in and a hat tip to journal photographer and videographer greg southam who is here to pull together a video clip from our taping you have a lot to pick from today. We've really talked 
gone on and on. Um, you can connect with us Lucky on Greg. Facebook. Uh, check out the journal's Facebook page or seek all of us out on Twitter. You can hear previous episodes of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com or through the journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available free on iTunes, so subscribe, add it to your friends' podcast list when they leave their phone lying around waywardly. The press gallery will be there waiting for you and them every Friday. We will convene again next week in the press gallery.